Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. Today I want to talk to you about Ecclesia. That's the way we might say it in the South. You might say Ecclesia, right? But let me back up first. I want to connect this with last week's message. So let me reconnect this for a moment. Last week I spoke about God being a God of justice. God loves justice. He hates injustice. And He's going to judge injustice. So we have to pray along those lines. We want God to bring justice for the person who's been the victim of injustice as well as the person who seems to escape justice and do bad things to other people. So it's two-sided. We want to trust God and ask God for justice. You know, that's how God establishes who He is. And every nation needs to have justice in it from the top down on both sides of justice. So we saw last week how God hears the one who prays. So we see that God intervenes in situations where there's injustice, but He does that because people are crying out to him and praying. You remember the woman that we studied last week, she cried out to God. And then it says, will God not give justice to those who cry out night and day? So he not only wants to give justice, but he says, won't I give justice to the one who cries out? So it's not like the woman would go, God, I have, this has been happening to me and you haven't done anything. No, she has to pray and ask for it, you see, and expect it. And even though it might not look like it's coming, she needs to know God is a God of justice. God is hearing my prayers. And if I don't give up, I can be 100% assured that I'm going to have this prayer answered, which is a very, very powerful lesson that Jesus taught us. And I want to encourage you that beyond her praying for herself, that these are the kind of prayers that we need to also be praying for society at large. And I want to get into that a little bit today. I'm going to get in touch on it more in depth later. I want to emphasize that when we pray for things like justice, we, we may pray for a need that we have, but God wants us to begin to pray for these things of God for our community at large, for our nation at large, because God's called us to be those that will pray and act to bring change into our culture. And today I want you to begin to see that's a big role God has in your life. God does want you to see people get saved. And that's the most primary thing is that we see lives come to God. And not only that, they grow, they get discipled, they, their lives change. They're, they become strong and mature in the Lord. They begin to know the Lord more and more. They know His voice. You see, that's important. But beyond that, God wants culture to change. You need to recognize that you're a part of the answer. Don't just curse the darkness. God wants you to pray in the light. You see, don't just get upset at the darkness and the bad things that you see. Pray in the light. Believe God for change. I was reminded of this verse in Jeremiah 29, 7, where these people, these Israelites had gone into captivity and were going into captivity in Babylon. If you remember Babylon, I mean, they really did a job on Israel, right? I mean, they killed a lot of the Israelites. They destroyed their city. They took them captive into Babylon. And a lot of people that were there probably would have known 
various people that were killed by the Babylonians. He's telling these people, Jeremiah is telling these people through prophetic inspiration from God, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for its peace, for in its peace, you will have peace. Now, that's a really interesting thought and command of God, because think about this. What if you were the Israelites and that had just happened to you and Babylon had just done that to you? I think the last thing you might feel to do is to pray for Babylon. But you see, God says, okay, this is done wrong. Yes, they did this. Yes, but I, I allowed that to happen. Okay, what I want you to do now, I want you to pray for Babylon. Pray that I bless Babylon. Pray that the peace of God will be there. Da, 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 because you're actually going to be blessed when they're blessed. I, what a neat thing. But I want you to think about this. They're in an ungodly nation or city. And God is telling them that through their prayers, they have the power to bring blessing or something on that city. They have the power to influence that nation, even though they're a minority there, even though they're not even empowered there, they have spiritual power to influence what's going on at some level in that nation. Now, that's a really powerful thing. Now, I want to just make you think about this. If these Israelites were able to pray for Babylon, an extremely ungodly nation, how much more so should we, the body of Christ, who are born again? I mean, if Jesus says we're even greater than John the Baptist because of God in us, which he didn't have in that way. I mean, if we are able, if they were able to pray and bring change in Babylon, how much more should we be able to bring change to America? And how much more should we be willing to pray and to have a heart to pray that God touch this nation, that God do things in this nation, and that God bring a revival, God bring a, this nation back to himself and cause this nation to serve God again? You see, I believe that's exactly what God wants to do. And I believe he looks to us to pray. He could have just said, oh, I'm going to bless Babylon. No, he says, look, you need to pray. You see, when God wants to do something, he looks for those who will pray. He doesn't just always say, oh, I'm going to do this. No, he's looking for prayer. So when he wants to bless Babylon so that his people would be blessed, he says, you pray so that I might do it. And over and over we see in the word of God where it says he's hindered because nobody would pray or, you know, or he will do something because somebody will pray, you see. So that's so important. But anyway, getting back to this main point that I was starting, God wants to do something great in the nations of the earth. And let's look right now for America. God wants to touch America. God wants to bring America back to God. God wants to bring it not just in a big corporate sense, but I want to just say also in the little pockets at your workplace, you know, wherever God has placed you. Begin to, begin to see that as a part of what God wants to touch with kingdom culture, with God's culture, and to change the atmosphere and the environment of that place because that's what God 
desires to do. Yes, I believe the major thing is in bringing people back to God, but I want you to expand what that means and expand what God's role is in your life and begin to understand God wants you to be an influencer of culture so that culture would change all around you. You know, we do have this responsibility and it did happen before. I just want to mention, if you look back at Paul, when he's going to Ephesus, the Ephesian people that got upset at the Christians coming, they were trying to get people upset. And they said, these Christians, these ones that have turned the world upside down have come here too, right? So from the standpoint of the world, this is a disruption. They were so used to being in a, things being a certain way that when the gospel came in, that when things began to change, their world was getting turned upside down. And a lot of them didn't like it. They wanted it to be like it was. They wanted it to stay like it was. Some of them made money because of corruption. Some of them made money because of idolatry. Some, you see, and so they don't want the Christian culture to come in because it disrupts their livelihood or it disrupts the way they've been living. So some got upset at that and they said, they're turning our world upside down. In reality, from our viewpoint, the world was getting turned right side up. It'd been turned upside down for so long, it just seemed normal to them. But God looks at it as the world was beginning to be turned right side up because of the influence of the Christians there. And you see, wherever the gospel has gone, throughout history, when it would go and flourish in any nation, country, or that, that area would prosper. The culture would change. Look at any nation, and the influence of the gospel is what caused it to pop out of any areas of darkness into the light. You could see that in our own nation from the influence of, God, of the gospel, breaking certain strongholds of various types throughout history. One of them, of course, was slavery, where those that were moved of God said, you know, this is something that's wrong. And it's their God convictions that made them stand up. And for many of them, it's their God convictions that caused them to be willing to say, hey, we're going to fight for this. We're willing to die for this because this is what's right. You know, deep down inside, we all want to live for something right. We all want to live for something honorable. And one of the greatest things you could ever do is live your life for something that's of honor, something that's of worth, of value. And even if necessary, to lay down your life for that. What greater thing could you do than lay down your life doing something that's right? And you see, that's what God does to us. He instills that value on the inside of us, and He makes us courageous. He makes us those people that will stand up for what's right and to do what's right because of God, not because of our flesh, not because we've got a personal axe to grind and a personal sense of righteousness. No, it's God conviction, God's thoughts of what's right and wrong that get on the inside of us and cause us to do things that bring change, not only to lives getting saved, but to culture, where culture begins to be influenced by the kingdom of God. Now, I have to say, over the last few years, you know, it's very obvious that our culture has been going in the wrong direction. Let's say the last few years, I should say the last few decades. Culture has been going dramatically 
in the wrong direction. Morality has changed. I mean, what looks normal right now is very upside down. I'm telling you, it's very upside down. Now, if somebody's born into this world, you know, or if they're young, maybe this just looks very normal. But to somebody who's older that can remember what things were like, you're going, wow, our world is definitely upside down. I've mentioned this before, but there, there have been a couple of times in history when our nation was turned upside down and there were great moves of God. They're called awakenings. There was the first great awakening that happened, you know, many years ago, turned our nation around. And it's why we're considered, you know, we ended up starting out as a Christian nation. Was there evil? Yes. Evil happens in every nation. Evil begins, look at what's happening right now. We could look and just, we could curse everything about our nation. Look at what's, look at the morality here. Look at the morality there. You see, we can point the finger, right? And say, what an evil, bad nation we are. Yes, but guess what? What makes that change is the remnant that will pray, the remnant that will bring things back into alignment with God. It's happened twice before where prayer brought this nation back to God, where we wanted to honor God again, where we wanted to get things right with God again, where people began to be convicted of doing things wrong, and where God's righteousness began to be the standard. For some Christians now, that's a lost cause. They can't see that ever happening. Oh, things have gone so very deep in culture. Oh, that could never change. Oh, we've lost that battle. Oh, we've lost that battle. Let me just tell you this. When the Spirit of the Lord is poured out, God will change lives, and it can be so powerful. God will also change culture. And I believe that's God's desire, and that's God's design. He loves to see righteousness in the earth. He loves to see goodness in the earth. He loves to see worship of God in the earth, you see. And God wants to reestablish that. And I want to give you a vision today, not only of winning souls, but of changing the culture you're a part of, changing your workplace, changing whatever God puts you into. It's not just about you. You see, we need to begin to connect our work. We may call it secular work, but we need to begin to connect whatever that is to the kingdom of God because we are strategically placed wherever we are to help get that job done of change, of reaching souls, but also changing society and bringing God's rule God's kingdom into wherever we are. You remember Jesus said, pray this way. And a part of the prayer, even at the very, very beginning was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. We say that not even thinking about what we're praying. Where's earth? It's here. Is it just in the church world? No, it's the whole earth. We are praying, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in the earth. Do you realize that God wants his will to be done? What's God's will? Well, we know what God's will is. That which is good, that which is pure, that which is true, that which is righteous, that which is honest. You see, those kind of things. God says, pray that my will be done in all the earth. And we'll see in a moment, but when we pray that, then we are supposed to be ambassadors of God, always looking for ways to actually be God's hands and feet to make that happen. You see, part of it is praying. But when we pray things, God then opens doors and activates 
his people to get the job done. We are the ambassadors. We are the representatives of God. We've been born again. We actually have God on the inside of us. We are new creatures. We've had something restored in our lives where we have an authority that's been given to us now through God because we've been cleansed, where God's able to send us into the earth now because now we are in Christ. Okay. Man, I could really get into that for a long time, but if I do, I won't finish the other things I want to say today. Let's go to Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said this to Peter. He says, you are Peter, and the word there means small rock. You are small rock. And on this big rock, now Peter had just said, Lord, you are the Messiah. It's a big revelation. And some believe the big rock he's talking about is revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? the revelation of who he is. Peter's like, Lord, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus says, you're the little rock, but on this big rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this is the very first time the word church is used. And by the way, what a powerful scripture this is. I mean, there's so many things in this scripture. It's really powerful, and we're going to get into it. But it's the first time that the word church is used. And it's a Greek word that translate and say church. I said, how, how did I pronounce that a while ago? Ecclesia? But it's ecclesia, right? It's the ecclesia and, or the church. Now, when you use the word church, what do you think? You think body of Christ, family of God house of God, right? But actually, the word he used there, even though it incorporates that, it means something a little different. The word church, the ecclesia, at that time in history, meant a called out group of people for the purpose of governing. Think about that. The church is a called out group of people for the purpose of governing. It was a legislative assembly. Somebody had mentioned this the other day, and I hadn't thought about this in a long time, and I, I was planning on sharing it last week. And then the message got so long. But anyway, so I thought, well, I'll share it this week about the ecclesia. This week, I bet I've heard people talk about this like two or three times. And I was went, uh, when I went to bed Friday night, I'm going, wow, it's, it's interesting how many times I've heard about this just this week. And Saturday morning, I get up, I was going to write my notes out for what I was going to say. And I look up a couple of things for like a devotional online and boom, this word pops up. I'm going, that is just phenomenal. It has to be the Lord. God must be highlighting this point today. But anyway, the ecclesia is a governing assembly. So it was used for that purpose when Jesus used the term. So I want you to put yourself in the disciples' minds, you know, in their shoes back in that day. And I want you to hear it. Not like the words body of Christ or a family of God that we associate it with, but I want you to hear it the way they would have heard it that day. And so it's as if Jesus was saying something like this, I'm going to build my called out ones to govern. What? That sounds so strange, doesn't it? Again, putting it in the context, the kingdoms of the earth have their ones they call out to rule and reign, to govern. I'm going to call out I'm going to build my ones called out to govern and rule and reign. Now, that gives you a little bit of a different emphasis than just calling the church 
the family of God. And not only that, but it actually fits so well into everything Jesus just said when he's talking about ruling, governing, carrying an authority of another kingdom and bringing that kingdom's values and structure, so to speak. So look at what the verse, look at what he said in totality. And it makes so much sense now. What, what else did he say when he's talking about the church, the called out ones that are going to bring his government into the earth? Now, I'm not talking about a natural government, but it affects the natural world. I'm talking about what's done with us and God, but it's, it affects the earth. It's God's governing somehow, God doing what God's going to do in the earth. Now, look, it says this in part of that verse. He said... Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So right there, he's calling us to bind things and to loose things. So arrest things and make other things free. Tie up certain things and release other things. So what would, what would God want you to bind, to inhibit, to control to to bring into subjection things that are not good things that are ungodly things that don't please god that are working in the earth remember he said in the earth right so what would you bind what would he want us to bind in the earth and what would he want us to loose in the earth things that are good righteousness peace and i would say too there are probably things in your personal life certain certain things that, that may come against you, that you, you go, you know what? This is a force working against me. I'm not going to allow that to work through prayer and the power of God. I'm going to break that power. I'm going to bind that power. I'm going to use the power and the authority I have been given in heaven to work in this sphere of life that I have because he's encroaching into my territory. And now I'm going to use authority that I've been given from God to arrest him, to expose him, and I'm going to loose the blessings of God where I am. You see, I know that terminology might sound strange, but that's what Jesus was saying. And he's using it in a very illustrative way where certain things, their powers have been brought to nothing, where they're not able to be active. And there are others which are released. God wants us to be releasing that which is good and binding that which is not good. Where? In the earth. How do you do that? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit later. But then he says this. So you see how that's connected to the church being a legislative kind of body. I'm using the word legislative. Don't think, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. necessarily. He's talking about his kingdom, God's kingdom. Then he says this, the gates of hell will not prevail. Yeah, I noticed the other day a southern preacher was preaching and hell was a two-syllable word. And I thought, then that's something that's interesting. If you grow up in the South, you can turn so many one-syllable words into two-syllable words. It's hail. And then I noticed he did that. And I probably do the same thing so many times. So he says, the gates of hail, hell, will not prevail. What does this show us? To me, that shows there's going to be resistance. He doesn't say, just do this. He says, you go out, represent me. And let me back up here. When he says the gates of hell, the word gates is referring to authority of a city. When you come into a city back then, 
and the entrance of the city was called the gates of the city, and that's often where the leadership of the city would be. And so the word, the gates, refers to the leadership, the governance of that city or kingdom or whatever. So again, we're looking at him saying, the governance, the kingdom, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The authority system, the structure of the demonic realm of hell will not prevail against the church, the governance of God, the ones who are walking under God's authority and representing his kingdom, right? So he's going back to a kingdom mindset here, a structure of having authority in the kingdom and walking in that authority. So he says, the forces that resist you will not prevail. That shows me that there will be resistance. There will be that which does not want me to go forward, that does not want us to go forward. And whatever God's called us to do, whether it's build the church, the local church, the local body of Christ, etc., etc., or whatever it might be that we're called to do individually for God, there will be resistance if we intend to expand the kingdom in that, which is our greatest call. That's why we've got to learn to use our authority because to do the greatest thing you're called to do in life, you're going to have to do what God wants you to do. And God's design for you is a kingdom purpose. It's not just to be a businessman, for example. It's to be a businessman for God. And he's got a purpose beyond what you might imagine. God put Joseph in business. Maybe he was the greatest businessman in the Bible. I don't know. But then he began to realize there's a purpose behind this. What did he do? He provided for all of Israel through what God had done through his business. Think about that. You see, God blesses us and he's got a kingdom purpose in mind. And again, I want to encourage you, whatever you're called to do, I'm hoping you're applying this to your life and thinking, how am I going to be able to bring the kingdom where I am? How am I going to be able to change culture where I am? I want to reach people for the Lord, but I also want to change the culture. Okay, then he says this back in that verse. He says, these things must first be bound in heaven. What he said was this. I read it like this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But the word will means it shall be. And you can look it up in your Bible or concordance or whatever, but it would be more accurately read like this. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, this is what I believe this means. Whatever we do, he's, again, remember, he's wanting us to do something in the earth have an effect on the earth. And he says, for this to happen, it's first got to happen in heaven. Whatever you bound on earth shall have been bound in heaven. How is that, does that happen? I believe one primary way is through prayer. Remember, he gave him keys to the kingdom. What are keys? That's access. He's able to access heaven. He's able to pray. He's able to get God's empowering. He's able to get answers in prayer. But then what happens is 
God uses him, God uses us through what we do in the earth to loose, so to speak, the kingdom of God and to arrest the works of the enemy wherever we are. You see how, you see how all that plays together? It's a really, really neat thing there. Now, there was an illustration in the Old Testament that's really powerful, and it's in Exodus uh, 17. And there you see the Israelites and the Amalekites are going to war. This is where Moses goes up on the hill, and he goes up there, and he has his staff, or his rod, I should call it, in his hand. He lifts up the rod, and as he's lifting up the rod, guess what happens? Israel is defeating the Amalekites. They're destroying the Amalekites. And he gets tired. He brings the rod down and says, I'm going to rest for a while. He's watching, and he's going, wow, we're, we're starting to lose. He sticks the rod back up. Boom, wow, look, now we're winning. And he ended up having to have people hold his hand up as he's doing this. Now, what does this represent? Prayer. His hands are up toward God, but it also represents authority. You see, he's praying and he is connecting with the authority of heaven because Moses was given a special place, right? Which we've been given a special place in Christ, but Moses had a special place of unique authority and he stood in that place of authority. He prayed, he connected with God and guess what? What he did in heaven was having an effect on the earth. That's a very clear illustration, I believe, of what Jesus was saying here, where he says, what you bind on the earth shall have been bound in heaven. There was some power being released because of Moses' prayer and standing in the authority by holding of the rod that he had been given in God that was doing something in the heavenlies, bringing a breakthrough in heaven that was seen in the earth. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Joshua, any battles that you win in this earth and what you're doing, and whether it's preaching the gospel whether it's bringing the culture of God into your workplace, whatever it is, it's going to be because somehow you or someone else has been praying and accessing the kingdom of God and using the keys of the kingdom, entering into the place in God that you have in the kingdom and securing the victory there. So look at this. The victory needs to be won in heaven but then it needs to be walked out in the earth. And sometimes walking it out in the earth may look like you're not even sure you've won yet. But as long as you stay connected to God and you've got that victory coming, the victory is going to be a sure thing as long as you stay connected, right? The enemy will not prevail against you. Remember, Joshua is having to fight. He's having to fight. There is resistance going on, right? He didn't just go, oh, Moses prayed. You guys need to just all fall down. No, Moses prayed. But part of the process is now Joshua has to fight. He has to get the job done. 
He has to, you know, and for us, we have to tell people about God. We have to share about God. And then we have to also pray, how can I bring change into my workplace? How can I bring change into my city, into my country if possible? We pray, and sometimes we're praying, God's going to use somebody else. That's all right. It doesn't, you know, that's how things work, right? That's like Moses. Moses is praying. Moses is standing before God. And in this case, Joshua is the one fighting. Does that mean Joshua doesn't have a prayer life? No. But in this particular battle, God has stationed a prayer warrior with authority. And there's a, another person who's been given a different assignment. You see, we all have different assignments. And we need to recognize what we've been called to do in prayer. And we need to recognize what we've been called to do in the earth. And we need to use our authority. And we need to know we've been graced by God to get the job done, to expand the influence of the kingdom wherever we go, to see souls saved, lives changed, and culture changed. But we need to be able to realize, you know what? Yes, there's a battle. And why did Jesus say the devil or the gates, the authority, the power of hell will not prevail? Because what he's saying is ultimately there's going to be a victory. You might have battles. It might look like you're going backwards. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, don't give up. There'll be a victory there because Jesus promised it. You will prevail. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop going forward. Whatever has been resisting, you will one day be broken down at the right time. Just do not give up. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. You see, that's the illustration that's in that. Now, some people don't believe that we're supposed to engage culture. You know, I believe that's such a misunderstanding of the gospel. They think, oh, we're just supposed to, you know, see people get saved. That, you know, that's all God cares about. Let the world just be as ugly as it is. Let the world do what the world, you know, that's the world. Don't worry about that. But pull people out. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the story of Timothy. You know, Timothy in the Bible, you remember Paul wrote to Timothy and he was like, my son in the Lord. Timothy was a young guy. He goes, don't let your youth make you feel inferior to all the older people all around you. And he also would say things like, don't be timid, Timothy. You know, don't be fearful. You get the feeling that Timothy wrestled with fears. He wrestled with issues in his life that would keep him from being bold and going forward. It's so neat to hear. Of course, it didn't happen yesterday, so we're looking at it from history. So, so when I say this, I don't mean that I'm glad Timothy died the way he did, but I'm just saying, the testimony of his life when he died was so powerful. I'll tell you the story because what he's doing is engaging culture. So Timothy lived in Ephesus. He was over 80 years old at this time. And there was a festival where he lived every year. I believe it was once a year they'd have this festival. And it was a festival where they had, they'd wear costumes. They all wore masks or most of them would. Uh, you know, as I was, I was reading about the festival the first time, I'm going, wow, that sounds like the Mardi Gras, right? Or Carnival. Other nations have a festival called Carnival. I'm not sure how bad Mardi Gras is. Some people have said, oh, it's not really bad at all. And other people it's like, no, it's really bad. I don't know. I've never been to it. But anyway, in this festival, it was very ungodly. Here goes Timothy. And this, this festival is going through where he is. And it's not only costumes and masks, there's a lot of sexual immorality there. There's idolatry there, you know, just a bunch of lewdness, kind of like drunkenness and that kind of thing. 
And Timothy begins to confront directly these festival goers. I mean, he's speaking directly to these participants in the festival. And he's speaking and telling them how ungodly what they're doing is, how wrong that it is. See, in my mind, I'm going, even in that culture, it must have been well known that there's some level of morality. And they were even going beyond that. And he is openly confronting them for their ungodliness and how they're living. Do you realize he's not preaching to church that day? He's out. I don't know whether he was doing it one-on-one, whether it was a group of people, whether he had been doing this all day, but it so grieved him to see that in his city and the ungodliness in his city, he directly confronted the ungodliness in his city, preached against it, spoke about it. Why are y'all doing this? This is wrong. And, and guess what? They killed him. They killed him because he stood into something in his culture that God had provoked him. The Holy Spirit on the inside of him was provoked with. He stood into culture and he was willing to die for that. I just think that's a, that's a great thing. And you, you look at what was Timothy doing? I believe he was confronting his culture. He was confronting a corruption that was in his culture, something that was bringing degradation to culture. You know, he got involved. He stepped out. He got involved and said, hey, I, he didn't go, oh, that's just the world. They're going to do what they're going to do. He goes, no, that's where I live. That ought not to be happening where I live. That's so disrespectful of God. That's going in the wrong direction for our nation. We've been having a move of God, and look what they're doing. I mean, it blesses me to see he stepped into culture and said, I'm going to speak into some of the ungodliness. Now, God moved him to do that. But I just want to say God does move us to do that, and we need to be open to how God is moving us to do that. William Wilberforce is another fellow that came to my mind. In 1780, he was elected to Parliament in England. He was not saved when he was elected to Parliament. He said pretty much, you know, I was just doing nothing. You know, he was born, as I remember, I believe he was born very wealthy, you know, very wealthy home and had all these extras or whatnot. And he ends up being elected to Parliament. After he got elected, he began to reflect on life, reflect on life. Guess what's happening? Somebody is praying and he's the recipient of prayers that are going on, right? So he starts thinking about his life. And he starts thinking about how empty his life is. He begins to feel intense sorrow for how he's lived and his his life. And he said this, he said, I am sure no creature could suffer more than I did for some months. I bet every one of you has felt that way at times where Man, there's hardly anybody that could have gone through what I went through, right? He felt that way. So he was elected in 1780. Then in 1786, on Easter Day, which is Resurrection Day, he's born again. He has an encounter with God. He gets born again. And from that day, his life began to change. He pulled away from things that were God. He, one of the things he said that he was doing was he pulled away from all the dinners and the parties. I heard a politician, I don't remember whether it's a current 
politician or I don't even remember who it was, but I just remember what he said. He said, when you go to Washington, a lot of people, they have good intentions. He said, but it's the social part. He said, you go to all these dinners and all these parties and there's an influence there. You want to be accepted. You want to fit in. And there's an influence there at the party or at the dinners. And whether it's sort of fitting in with their jokes or their continual this or that, you end up becoming one of them. And little by little, you lost who you were. And he was sharing how the social aspect of politics actually corrupts you. So when I, when I was reading that William Wilberforce said, I completely pulled away from the social part of politics. I quit going to those dinner parties. I quit trying to connect with all these people because that was polluting my Christianity. That's what he said. So God did begin to work on his heart and he developed a burden for the slaves. Slavery was so entrenched in that culture at that time. It was just a part of life. You know, if you grew up, you know, if you're a child, you're just going to see it. You probably won't even think twice about it. It was just the way things are. I remember like, when I was growing up, things that we might have, you know, looking back, I go, wow, I didn't even realize that I grew up thinking like that. It's just, you weren't thinking like it. It's just, it's just the way things are. You don't question it, right? So, but anyway, it was that entrenched in his culture. But he knew it was wrong, and he knew he had to do something about it. And so to make a long story short, he began to stand up against slavery. He was like the only one. People opposed him. They'd lie about him. They'd bring him down. You know, they'd vilify him. He'd be the worst person, right? So he was attacked continually, but he never gave up. And it's amazing if you ever get to read his story about he continued to fight because he knew what he was doing was of God. It was in his culture. And he said, I'm going to be one to make the change. Now, I know he was praying, but I want to emphasize I believe there have been many that were praying for him or praying that God change things. Many praying, many praying. And God goes, okay, I'm going to put the burden on this one right here. And he dropped the call of God and the burden on that man. So I don't think he's the only one active, but he's like the Joshua that God's using at that moment, right? And God wants to use all of us, I believe, in some dimension. But anyway, he never gave up. He's like the Joshua fighting, fighting, fighting. Maybe it looks like he got knocked down, but he kept going forward. And there's a lot of people praying for him. There's a lot of people praying, God, in slavery. God, uproot this evil in our nation. God, do something. Do, they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. Anyway, he began to introduce these bills to, to end slavery in England. He introduced a bill. and I mean, I, was, I wrote down all the years where he introduced bills and they were, he lost, they were defeated. 1791, the first time. Again in 1792. 1793, he brought bills again to end slavery. Defeated again. 1797, bills brought before the house again. Defeated. 1798, he brought bills again. Defeated. 1799, he brought bills again. Defeated. How many of you would have given up by now? 1804, he brought bills again. Defeated. Finally, in 1805, he got his first breakthrough. The first bill finally passed 
that began to break the back of slavery in England. But guess what? It wasn't over. The final straw didn't, didn't break the camel's back until, when was it? 1833. Thankfully, I wrote that down. So look how many years he was fighting for it personally. Man, that's what is that? Like 40-some years that he's fighting for this battle? He ought to win. It looks like he's not going forward. Finally, praise God, the breakthrough was there. And now all of culture would go, man, how stupid, how crazy were those people, right? Because their world was upside down and they couldn't even know that. You see, we need people that believe the Word of God, that know how to pray, and that know how to engage in culture to turn an upside down world right side up. We need people like Timothy that will be willing to go and speak openly. You know, I'm telling you honestly, if we were there, what would we do? Oh, I don't want to be associated with that guy. Oh, look what he's doing. Hey, guy, you're going a little too far. They're just like that every year. They just do that. We just need to pray. No, Timothy's like, no, this is my time. I've seen this every year. I've had enough. I've got to engage this. This has to stop, right? William Wilberforce was willing to engage culture and to say, you know what? God has moved on my heart. I'm going to make a change in this culture where I am. Now, I want to just encourage you today as we're finishing up to recognize where you are as a child of God. You've been given special privilege and access to God. You've been given access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to pray. Right into His throne room you can go and pray and ask God for power and God will hear your prayers and God will answer your prayers and God will empower you and God will use you to pray for bigger things other than yourself and your little world. But let me just say here too, we need to also be willing to go, God, how will you use me? Some of you, maybe you've got corruption going on in your workplace and you need to say, God, I've been praying about it. Now, Lord, how, what, how can I do the, the second part? How can I engage here? I've been praying. I believe I'm winning the victory there. But now, God, how would you have me to walk this victory out? How would you have me to fight? What's the next step? Some of you might be in a place that you realize is, you know, maybe they lie to people. Maybe there's just a, a culture of corruption at your workplace, culture of lying. Maybe it's something else that you see that's going on in your workplace. Maybe a lot of vile behavior, ungodliness. You, you need to think, you know what? I want to bring people to the Lord. I want to bring all these to the Lord. And I want an open door. But beyond that, I also want to bring the kingdom of God here. I don't want them living like this. I don't want this culture here. When somebody else comes to work here, I don't want them to have to come into this and to be influenced by this. God, let me change the culture where I am. Let me get involved and bring godliness to where I go. You see, God says we're salt and light. What's salt is a preservative. What's light? That which exposes darkness. God says, be light wherever you are. Be light wherever you go. Bring light where there's darkness. That's a mission, a role that we have as light bearers. Amen? Amen. Well, let me just leave you with that right there, and, and I'll just pray for you. But I want you to, you see, there's, there's something missing in the body of Christ where we just think of God only as the worship part. You see, that's the body of Christ part. That's the family part, the worship part, the connect part, the pray part. 
But then there's the other part where we're the army of God. We're the legislators of God. We're the ones bringing His rule into the earth. We're the ones like Joshua fighting, right? And you see, I believe we need to begin to incorporate our individual vision with our call and what's going on in the world. That's what makes us zealous to pray when God's involved using us every day and we have to be one with God. Then we're worshiping and we're also praying, God, bless me in what I do today and help me to be a blessing to somebody. Help me, maybe I can pray for somebody that's discouraged. That's bringing the kingdom of God somewhere. Maybe I can love on someone today that needs love. Maybe I can speak to someone today in a certain way to help them change the way they're thinking about life. God, help me in some way. Expand the kingdom of God wherever I go. You see, and God will use you if you begin to have that mindset and if you begin to realize God has commissioned you not just to be a worshiper, but a member of the army to go do His will and to expand the kingdom of God wherever you go. So, Father, we thank You, Lord. You've empowered us. Help us, God. Lord, what a great thing we have in in Christ. What a, what a great opportunity to pray and to be a partner with Christ and seeing the kingdom of God expanded in the earth. And Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that there would be a greater dimension of God working in us and through us. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to walk in a, and stand in authority. And then teach us to fight and not give up. Lord, and then it's not always fighting the way we picture fighting. Sometimes it's simply by going and praying for people. It's by loving on people. It's by being kind, gracious, generous, uh, understanding, and, and stepping into situations with the love of God. So, Lord, we're just praying, God, let that vision settle in us. And, Lord, we pray that every day, particularly this week, like the beginning of a new day, a new season of engagement, Show us how to get involved in our world and to make a difference. Wire us, Lord. Help us to remember, yes, we're called to engage. Yes, so Lord, when we feel a little inspiration, go talk to this person. Go meet with this person. Go do this. Go do that. Lord, that we'll listen and that we'll step out of our comfort zone and bring the kingdom of God where we go. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.